0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Continue our Sunday night study, conforming to the image of Christ. Uh, uh, Every lesson that we do from... uh, on Sunday nights is going to revolve around that idea. It fits perfectly with what we're doing uh, in our Sunday school hour, moving toward maturity is the the title of our our study there. And so it works perfectly alongside uh, of what we're doing. We're we're moving toward a sense of maturity, and that maturity is a a Christ-likeness. And that is the goal of the Christian life is that we become more like Jesus Christ each and every day. The study that we're going to be looking at over on Sunday nights are things that help us solidify that uh, and come to a point that we we understand that. We looked at union with Christ, the idea that we are, you know, one with Christ and and the spiritual dynamic. Union with Christ is one of those things that's just hard to explain, that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I, in a sense, I don't want to make light of not being able to understand something. It's like I don't understand it. I, I can't explain it or maybe uh, don't know exactly how it works out, but I believe it. I mean, I, how do you explain that you are one with Christ and that Christ is in you and you in Christ? I believe that, but it's such a supernatural, awesome thing. I can't even comprehend it. Why would he want to take part of anything with me is it, one thing I struggle with, but I'm grateful. Assurance, we started last week, we're going to finish this week, so um, part two of of assurance. We have to know that there's a point in a time that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Sometimes I've heard preachers make it sound like, if you don't remember the time, the day or the hour, you may not be saved. I don't share on assurance to to make saved people think they're not saved. Uh, I want to preach on assurance so that we know that we are saved. There's a point in a time that we have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ alone for our salvation, not of works, but it's by grace through faith that we know that we're saved and we're excited about it. Uh, Last Sunday night, we looked at reasons, and I want to replay real quick some of the little bit of what I shared last Sunday night because I think it's very helpful. That true believers can struggle with assurance, doubt. A lot of it has to do with one's personality or what they're going through. We can doubt assurance uh, but we need to understand that we may, if we doubt, that's not necessarily unbelief. You can go through a struggle of doubt, but that doesn't mean that you're an unbeliever, you're you're apostasy, you're a heretic. We can doubt doubt. Um, Living in this world can cause doubt. Satan can cause doubt. Trials and circumstances can cause doubt. Living in sin can cause doubt. Health issues, depression, grief, anxiety, all of these things can mount on us that could cause a season of doubt. It may be a very short season. It may be an extended season. But just living in this world can cause doubt. But that does not mean that we're unbelievers. It just could be doubt. Spiritual uh, immaturity can cause doubt, just not growing. We're babes in Christ, and we can't handle the things of the world because we've never grown spiritually. Uh, I hear that a lot as a pastor. We, we, we say things, but we don't live those things out, and we struggle. Um, sin and how we deal with it, we're living in sin, and we, we're not dealing with that sin. We're not repenting of that sin. We're not moving on from that sin. And that can cause doubt. When we're tempted, living, living in a world of sin, we're tempted, we think, well, maybe I'm not saved. The devil wants to keep reminding me I'm not, I'm not saved because I keep being tempted. Temptation is not lack of salvation. Temptation is just living in the world. Is what do we do with that temptation? And then we looked at also the idea that we compare our life to others and think that I may not be a believer. I must not be a believer because I can't live like they live. And so those are just natural things that can happen to us that could cause us to have a, a short season of just doubting, do I really know Christ? So um, it is possible for a believer to have seasons of doubt. So as we move to our second session, and these uh, complete Sunday nights are, are made available just like our Sunday morning online, and so I encourage you, utilize everything that we have as a church as a means to encourage people. You'd be surprised the number of people that, that they may say something. And if I can remember preaching on it, I'll even tell them, go back and listen to this week. I preach on a, you it. Know, somebody may say, well, I, I struggle with assurance. Well, you need to go to our church website and listen to the 1st of October and the 2nd of October on Sunday night. Our pastor walked through assurance. Uh, what a great tool that we have with our technology. So part two, we go into this week. Two things I want us to consider. One, it is possible, if it is possible for a believer to have a a season of doubt and lack of assurance, it is also possible for an unbeliever to have a false sense of assurance. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is one of these verses that as we read, I hope we do read, very eye-opening, Matthew chapter 7, we're in in the Sermon on the Mount, and as they're going through, uh, Jesus is walking through the Sermon on the Mount in 5, 6, and 7, here in verse 7, there's a little little section I call the the section of twos, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 and 14, there are two ways, Jesus talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate. There, beginning in verse 15 uh, through 20, uh, Jesus is talking about two fruits, talking about false prophets. It's where we get the idea we recognize people by their fruits. And then here in verse 21 and 23, I just simply wrote in my margin uh, whenever, a long time ago, two people, two lives, two professions. So here, let's get the picture. Get the picture. Jesus is standing in a sense of, of judgment. They say that it's the end of the, we're standing before the Lord. We're not on this side of heaven. We, we, whether the, the church has been at the end of times or whether we die, whatever. We're standing before the Lord, Jesus Christ himself. And here are his words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So get the picture. I mean, we've thought about this, that, you know, we're, we're, Jesus is standing at the gates of heaven. And individually, we're going to stand before him in a sense. We, we give an account for our life, whether we're in the Lamb's book of life or not. And we'll stand before the Lord individually. And there's going to be a group of people that Jesus is going to look at and say, not everyone who says to me, what does it say? What are those two words? Lord, Lord. They're not going to stand before Jesus and go, now, who are you? (laughs) They're They're going to stand before Christ and say, oh, Jesus, yes, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, now, if we back up a little bit, remember I shared in verses 12 and 13 and 14. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go by it. Many enter into it. Many. They're going to many people are going to take the easy path and enter into a religious door that leads to destruction. Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty things works in your name these words ought to be underlined and circled and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness not everyone that calls on him as Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven I never knew. That word knew. Uh, someone mentioned to me that uh, Coach Rick at the University of Miami has a goatee now. Anybody see that at Florida State? He's got a little goatee going on. He's trying to copy me. He was the Georgia coach, and now he's at, at, at the University of Miami. And we're friends. Did y'all know that? I've talked to him on the phone. I've been to a, uh, a, a social party with him. You want to be at a crazy party be at a party with coach rick and the pastor neither one of us drink we had nacho we were i was rubbing elbows with coach rick in a house hanging out we've talked on the phone he doesn't know me from adam's house cat but do you think i tell people that y'all when y'all talk to me it's like oh me and coach rick we know each other You could go up to Coach Rick right now and say, yeah, I was talking to John Beck the other day, and he talked about how close y'all were. He goes, I don't know him. You see where I'm getting at? I know him, but he doesn't know me. I think that word know is this idea of a, a superficial knowledge of something, but there's not that intimate relationship that we're talking about that we truly know someone. Anthony, let me see your, your little, your, your big study Bible. I asked him, I left my, my Bible at home. I, I, I think study Bibles can be helpful, uh, you know, little, little study Bibles. So I asked him to, if I could, I could borrow his for a minute. I thought this was a, a, a well-put explanation of this verse. A, a study Bible can be a great tool if it's a good study Bible. By referring to himself as Lord and depicting himself as the ultimate judge of humanity. Do we really believe that Jesus Christ is the ultimate judge of humanity? That's a great statement. Who are you to say that your way is the only way? Oh, it's not my way to say. It's not up to me to say. Jesus has already said it. When he said, I'm the light of the world, he said it. He, he is the one that everyone will stand before Jesus himself implied his his deity. True disciples affirm Jesus' lordship, submit to his authority, and obey his commands. Jesus insisted uh, that a person is confirmed as a true disciple, not by prophecy, not by exorcism or working miracles, but living a transformed life made possible to God. The disobedient lifestyles of lawbreakers are inconsistent with genuine discipleship. Jesus' words, I never knew you, show that these were never truly his disciples. I thought that was good, the way that Jesus is the ultimate judge. Judas would be a great example. Now, what made G- Judas different from all the other disciples? Was, was Peter perfect? I mean, good gracious, what a knucklehead. If I ever aligned myself with a disciple, it would be easy to be John. It's not John, it's Peter. Why is it Peter? He never shuts up. He always talks before he thinks. That is my life to a T. But yet Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, but it's in heaven. But what did Judas do that was so terrible? Well, we know, but I mean, when you look at it, what what was the difference? Why Judas? Well, this is all I can tell you. His heart. In his heart, he was following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Peter was following Jesus for all the right reasons. It is a heart issue evidently we can assume what Judas was thinking because of what happened to Judas he was in charge of the money we we as preachers love to try to come up with what was kind of going on evidently he was in charge of the money and he was looking at Jesus as a victorious political leader and he was attaching himself with Christ to deliver the nation of Israel and 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 the the things that were going on we're building a a mighty empire here but everywhere he went he always giving everything away and he was always helping the poor and he was always having nothing I think that just kind of rooted on Judas a little bit now wait a minute Judas is a great example of he knew Jesus but he did not know who Jesus was Peter is a great example of he knew Jesus but he didn't act perfect but he knew Jesus and so it is very possible that someone can have a false assurance. So, what is the basis of our assurance? You know, one of the, one of the things that is so misleading about the, the beautiful doctrine of election is what that means. You know, I've had people say, well, I, just, I don't believe in election. And I always laugh. Why can you say you don't believe in election? Because it's in the Bible. It, it's a biblical doctrine. Election is God's role. In, a, a big picture, big picture example of, a, of what election is: God's role in salvation. Okay, that's God's role in salvation. It's in Scripture. It's election is a biblical word. But I've had people tell me. Well, I thought election was that I really, really, really want to be saved and I've done everything I know I need to do and my heart really wants to be saved and I've really repented of my sin and I really want to know Jesus but if I'm not elect, I'm not going. Well, that's the craziest thing in the world. Election is not you really, really, really want to be saved and you're biblically trying to be a great Christian and you've really tried to do everything you can do to please the Lord but you're going to get to heaven one day and go, ah, oh, tricked you. No. Election is the idea that we can never understand. It's the opening up our eyes and heart to I need to be saved. That is, election is God's part. So one of the false understandings that people have, and this is why I'm sharing this, that I think churches have people that truly, truly, truly want to be saved and that truly are saved, but they're worried that they may never be saved. That is a a hard place to be. You know, an unbeliever, a, a Judas not being saved, it is a heart issue. But if there's a desire in your heart to know that you can repent of your sin and come to Christ only for salvation and only be found in Christ, that is a biblical understanding of what salvation is. And that is what we embrace. And so that, that doctrine has kind of confused people that... God has a role in our salvation. I would say a pretty big role, wouldn't you? So election is not I want to be saved, but if i am not been chosen, I can't be saved. No, election is the idea that God has opened up my heart and understanding and has made me alive in the spirit of Christ that allows me to be saved. That is what election is. And so a lot of people struggle with that. I had a pastor struggling with that. And I was like, how in the world? I remember talking to him about that. He, did, he brought it up. And I said, well, how can you how, how can you have that understanding of a, of what election is and then have any assurance that you are saved? But here are the biblical bases of one salvation. One, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. You could, I could, I could put it this way. Here, here's the, this is what I'm resting my salvation on. Someone would say, how do you know you're saved? Here's, here's what I'm banking my salvation. I'm resting, I'm standing, I affirm my salvation based on these things. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12. 2 Timothy 1.12. We'll turn them out. I've got it all written down, but sometimes I write the references wrong. Let me make sure we're in the right spot. Second Timothy 1, 12. He talks about he's been appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher. He's encouraging Timothy to, to continue on. Verse 6, for this reason, fan the flame. verse 11. This is why I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. Why, why would he include it? This is why I suffer as I do. The last writings of Paul. Why would, he, why would he say that? Did Paul pastor the mega church with a global ministry with 10,000 Twitter followers? Did he have four or five mansions and summer homes and drive a Cadillac because he was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? No. He's always seemed to be suffering. He's a great picture of, of success in ministry. You're always suffering something when you proclaim the gospel right. I always get nervous when too many people tell me how much they love the word. So every now and then, if people don't get mad at me, I think, well, I'm not preaching hard enough. Everywhere the gospel has truly been proclaimed, people have been persecuted over it. Look at the martyrs. Look at the, the, the book of, you ever read the book, what is that called, the so-and-so book of martyrs? These people died because they proclaimed the gospel, the Reformation, because they preached the gospel. Paul says, This is why I suffer the way I do. This is why I suffer, but I'm not ashamed. He's writing a young he's writing a young pastor in jail, awaiting his death. And he's writing to Timothy, This is why I suffer. This is why I'm awaiting on my death. This is why I suffer. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, ooh, I love this, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Come on say, how do you know you're saved? Because of my understanding of who God is. It's that simple. My assurance is based in the gospel, a biblical understanding of the gospel. And it's based on I have an understanding of who God is. I know he is able. That's a great word right there. He is able. Uh, we'll not another name of the song. My new favorite song, He is Able. Uh, I always tell Joy that my new favorite song. We had not sang that in a while, have we? We need to sing that. New favorite song. Pastor, pastoral privilege. You can say, let's sing that song. He is able. He's standing, in, he's standing in, He's you know, golly, wouldn't it be great, you know, if he had a therapist around. The therapist would have come into the prison. What have you done wrong? Just believe in yourself and have a great day today. Because great things happen to those who believe great things will happen. I keep telling myself that. It doesn't work out that way. Paul says, no, great things have already happened because he is able to keep me, and I am his. My assurance is based on an understanding of who God is. He is able. One of the the, the things that we miss about a big understanding of God, the first thing we learn about God is Genesis 1-1. What does Genesis 1-1 say? Annabelle, you know what Genesis 1-1 says? You don't remember? Your mom was, yeah, I thought you would say it. In the beginning, what? God did what? What a great, have you ever thought about why it starts that way? This is what God is saying. It's going to be all right. I created all y'all. It's going to be okay because I'm, I'm over everything. It's going to be okay. Everything's all right because all this is mine. Yes, there are going to be people go to hell but for those that are his, we're his. 2 Corinthians 5, we are new what? Creation. He, He is the God of creation. What is my assurance based on? My understanding of God. Secondly, it's based on the promises of his word. I don't think we use that word. I get into seasons where I love words, little phrases. Here lately I've been really encouraged by don't forget the promises of God I I shared in one setting I don't know we may have been with y'all may have been Wednesday night if you come Wednesday night Sunday morning Sunday night you do hear a lot of things in threes don't you because sometimes I say something on Wednesday night oh that's good I'll share that on Sunday morning oh that's good I'll share that on Sunday night so for about two weeks you hear the same little thing the Bible promise book remember those I've got one my grandmother gave it to me I'll run in a burning building and get that out of my house by the way 1992. I'd just been called to preach Bible Promise Book, and it, it's the promises of God. The I mean, you know, oh, you know, we sometimes we want to make fun of that little thing. Oh, but it's just, yeah, it's the promises of God, and every promise does God always keep His promises every time. Here's some of His promises. Acts, and I, I will make all this available in the, online. If you're not online, I'm. Not that I think I'm a global pastor, but it's just easier. And they said, Acts 16, 31. Believe the promises of God, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a great promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. How difficult is that to understand? If you understand what the gospel is, you understand what believe is. You understand these things. If we believe, and, and I, I take these words to heart, if that is the case, and I want to be very clear with the gospel, I want to be very clear what it means to be a, a, a follower of Christ. I want to be very clear with presenting the gospel in a way that if someone believes, they can be saved. Don't want to leave anything out and get it right. Just get the gospel right. Preach it in such a way that if you believe, you will be saved. Another great promise, John 3, 16-18. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that we know that that does not mean that everybody everybody in the world is going to be saved. You know, we, we can't take that verse out of context, read into something we want. All the Scripture fits together. Yes, that is what that says. But we also understand that it is only by faith through Christ, it is by repentance and faith that we are saved. So we know world does not mean just because Jesus died on the cross, all of humanity is saved. But God did love his creation. Jesus even wept over the fallenness of man, but at the same time, in Matthew 7, people are going to hell. He said, I never knew you. He weeps over them, but at the same time, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But it's a great promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, a biblical understanding of belief, what it means to believe the gospel, whoever believes, In him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is what? Condemned already. Already condemned. Acts 2, 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, Acts 2.21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we also understand from the verse I read earlier in Matthew 7, there's, a, there's, a, there's an understanding of what that means, call on the name of the Lord to be saved. It's a biblical understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I'm a sinner. I'm the issue. He came to be my redeemer. I repent of my sin. I place my faith in him and commitment and trust as Savior and Lord. And I call on the name of the Lord. I shall be saved. So what am I basing my assurance on? Who God is and what God's word says. Third, the completed work of Christ. I always think about as I'm studying John's gospel, I'm looking at it from a big picture, the big outline of all of John and bringing it down section at a time. All the gospels are a story of Jesus Christ going to the cross. Everything he says and does, he's preparing those disciples for the cross. Every encounter he has, he's going to the cross. His journey is to the cross. He had to go to the cross to finish the work of the Father. What did he cry out in John, end of John 20 or 21? I don't know, either 20 or 21. What did he cry out? It is what? It's almost done. We're about to get there. Hold on. A few more steps. What did he say? It's finished. In agony and, and death and the darkened of the world is the sin of our, uh, the, the, the sin of our lives. were mounting on him, he screamed and cried out in victory, "It is finished. It is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. Uh, Luke 19.10, the completed work of Christ. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he came to do, and he finished it. John 10.10, we'll get to that in a few weeks. The the thief comes, well, a few months. John 10.10, a few years. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Who's the devil? That's all he comes to do. That's his goal. I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He finished that. That's finished. Didn't say anything about no more pain and sorrow or heartache, but we can have life abundantly. Romans 5, 17. For it is because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Who who are they referring to? Adam and Eve, the sin of humanity. Much more will those who receive the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans five seventeen. That one man, Adam, the sin of Adam that's been passed on. If if one man's sin affected everyone, what a great picture. Then all who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's finished. Remember that little story I was telling you about looking in the box and the guy was telling me I wasn't saved. I don't know if I really alluded to what I was trying to say. He was questioning my salvation because I didn't belong to his tribe. I was a Southern Baptist preacher and in some circles, if you're not an independent, fundamental, King James only Women wear a dress, men wear a suit and tie. you ever been around one of those people? You're grinning. You know what them folks are like. They a handful. But if you weren't part of their tribe, you weren't saved. And so when I said I was a Southern Baptist pastor, you go, I know you're not going to heaven. I you know. Every now and then you're pastor. I know you think I'm borderline perfect. Every now and then I can get in the flesh a little bit. I got in the flesh a little bit. My jaw muscles got to kind of tensing up a little bit. That's when Sharon took the kids to the car. I know I'm saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a believer of Jesus Christ because of what I believed in and what Christ did on that cross. That's what I basically told him. I know I'm saved because of what Christ has done for me. Donald Whitney is a, one of my favorite authors, and some of this stuff, uh, as I put this together, I'm just reading and studying and doing. A lot, of, a lot of it's me, a lot of it's others, a lot of it's just a combination of things. But I did get this from this book by Donald Whitney. The fourth reason that we rest our assurance, or the fourth uh, basis of our assurance, my understanding of God, the promises of God, the completed work of Christ... And I just simply titled it this way, How We Live, Our Attitude and Actions. I, I, I thought of the attitude and actions because it takes both. I can do what I need to do right, but my attitude can be wrong. And it's almost like it doesn't count. Did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do all these things? Look at all my actions. But what did Jesus say? I never what? I never knew you. And so you can, you can have actions. They're going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of people worldwide that are on a church roll that will be in hell one day. They did something out here, but they never did anything in here. You know, somebody said, Well, how do you know you're not one of those? Because I know what I've done here. I've, I've already, I came to turn for that. I know I'm a believer of Jesus Christ because of what I've done in here. Donald Whitney, in his book, Talking About Assurance, talks about uh, how we can know how we live. Write this down, the test of life in 1 John. You remember that. Read 1 John. And, and these things that we talk about is all in, for one of my favorite sermon series is preaching through 1 John, the test of life. How do we know we're saved? A great book of the Bible. And I, I want to tell you a great thing What I've, I've learned, it took me several years to figure this out. I love to put books in people's hands. But you know the greatest book I love to put in people's hands is the Bible. And I'm gonna tell you a great way to use the Bible. And what I meant by what I meant by picking on the Bible promise book books, I get frustrated sometimes with just the books that have just snippets of scripture. And we've become people that just have snippets of scripture and we've never read the book. I love telling somebody, hey, you're struggling with assurance, you're struggling, go home and read 1 John every day for a week and let's talk. And you'd be amazed. A number of people said, "I've never read a book in its entirety repeatedly for a week. I've never read the Book of Ephesians. I've never." Somebody asked me, "What do you do in pastoral counseling?" The first thing I do with counseling that turns into more than just one visit is we read the Book of Ephesians together every week. I've never met anybody that hadn't read Ephesians about twice. You know, you read Ephesians every week for about six or seven weeks, and you understand, man, I don't have problems after all. I've never read the book. People say, I've never read 1 John from start to finish. Try it. The test of life in 1 John. I, I encourage people to do that often. Here's Whitney. This is what he says. You want to you know what the basis of your assurance should be on? Number one, do you share the intimacies of the Christian life with other believers? Oh, wait a minute. I thought I could just walk an aisle, check a box, be baptized, get on the church road, go to school, go, go to church as a young person, never go back. The test of, of our assurance is based on, if some, here's a way to look at it. I always like to use a, a little personal examples. I'm getting my years mixed up. How long has Brantley been married? Whatever, whatever it was, October, let's say October the 1st, I don't even know if I like girls anymore. I'm going to be celibate and be pure for Paul, like Paul. I'm never going to marry. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be with a woman. I'm just going to be single and travel the world and be a missionary for the Lord. Next week, he met Katie. We're going to get married and have 48,000 children, and we're going to raise a family, and we're going to, oh. I'm like, no, well, last week, Now, what happened? He met the right person. When you meet the biblical Jesus and you sit under the word and you understand your need of salvation and the great gift of Jesus Christ and you understand grace and mercy and forgiveness and the abundant life and you see it, you share these things with the world. This is not something you just cherish on your own and hang out alone. You, you share these intimacies with other believers. I like these type of lists. You notice I put it in the bulletin as well. What a great thing to just hand to somebody to consider. Sit down with a family member that you think may not be living out the Christian life and just ask them these things. Do you have a deep awareness of your sin against the word? and love of God you know I think as a growing believer and one of our topics will be sin and the effects of sin I think as we grow and mature in our faith we ought to have a deeper and a greater awareness of what sin is sometimes as believers we go through this little spell that we get saved and we're on fire for the Lord and then we become that chameleon and we just blend in with society it's a greater awareness of sin Do you live in conscience obedience? Now, these are Donald Whitney's words. Do you live in conscience obedience to the Word of God? And and not in a, you know, I've had people say, well, I read the Bible every day. I read the Bible every day. Yes, we need to read the Bible every day, but we need to read the Bible every day for the right reasons. We need to be very careful. Anything we do, we do because of what we want to do. Our attitude has to be right. We can read the Bible every day and just be reading it like the newspaper. But do we read the Bible in a way that we are having an encounter with God and know that the Word of God is going to be taken by the Spirit of God to teach us more about who God is and who we are? It's a, it's a love for the Word and understanding it, and we're excited to dive into. This is my, I don't know what year I started preaching out of this Bible. I've got a couple, ten years. I'm going on ten years. I've had it rebound already. And uh, my first... Back when I was a young preacher, I made the mistake of writing notes in pen. And then when I went back and did a Bible study in that section, I had those notes in pen. Now I write everything in pencil. And so that if I'm going through and I want to have a word reminder or something, I can write that word and erase things. But it is amazing. I'm trying to think of books of the Bible I've preached through. I know I've preached through Acts on like two and a half occasions. Does that makes sense? And so I've preached through Acts on a Sunday morning at a previous ministry, and I I know I've preached through Acts here, and then I've done different things in Acts in different settings. You know, every time I preach through a book of the Bible, I have a new file folder. And I could sit there and go, okay, I'm going to preach through, in in a few years, I'm going to preach through John again, because you're Baptist, you won't remember. And so I'll hope that nobody goes back and listens to the same sermons. I'm just going to pull out that file folder and just preach that same thing. What a shame. Every time I study the Word and teach the Word, I've got a new little file folder. The truth doesn't change, but God ministering to me through the Word seems to change. Do I love the Word and I read it in that way? Sometimes I think we read the Bible, and say, "Well, been there, done that." No, we do we do we love the Word and what it does to us? Number four, do you despise the world and its ways? Do we hate evil? Number five, that was number four. Number five, do you long for the return of Christ and to make and to be made like Him? I, I, wrote, I circled that. I don't know if I. That that's something that I do. I need to work on that. I think I'm so busy doing John down here, I forget. I need to long for his return. I mean, you know, I know he's coming, and I, well I know he's coming, but do we really long for his return and that we're gonna be made like him? I had a Christian tell me one time, Well I don't know what we're gonna do in heaven. Like they were they were they were hoping he didn't come back, so we wouldn't know what he's gonna do in heaven all week. Is that my wife sitting listening to preaching the whole time? No, we're gonna sing in heaven. I won't have a job. Joy will be the one doing all the talking. But I've had people tell me that. What are we going to do in heaven? Like it's going to be boring or something. I think I need to, in my spiritual, in my little heart, something I need to work on is longing for the Lord to come back. Not to get me out, and this is what we're good at. Get us out of this miserable place. Come quickly. No, this isn't a miserable place. This is a great place to do ministry. Amen? Man, what a great opportunity to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is his creation and his, his world. And yes, it is an evil place, but we have the light of the gospel. What an, what an exciting time to live in America. Boy, this is exciting. We don't have to wonder what we ought to be doing. Right? You get what I'm saying? Oh, America's going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, it has. And we're here to be a shining light. And what a great place to be. We want to get in our, this is, I'm going to get on my soapbox. We want to build a bunker mentality. Just build the bunker, lock the doors. The world's not alive. Oh my goodness, we got a crowd into our little bunker because the church is being threatened. Yeah, tell that to the reformers. Tell that to Peter. Tell that to John. Tell that to all the apostles. They They knew what they were called to do. So if you ever question what we need to be doing, you're in a great great mission field, by the way. America is a great mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you habitually do what is right and sin less? I thought about the way he worded that. Do I sin more, sin less? I came up with this in my own little mind several, several years ago. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but we need to be blameless. Blameless is saying I am doing the best I can. I'm really trying. I'm really, you know, because some people say, "Well, I'm not perfect." Well, okay, you're not perfect, but are you stupid? You keep doing the same thing over again. You know, some, You know, counseling sessions are great with me. I tell you what happens with counseling sessions. And I've had many of them. There's two things that happen. They last about one week or their life changes. That's a true story. You'll either come to me and say, hey, I got problems. You won't come back again or we'll meet for about eight or ten weeks and at the end of those eight or ten weeks, you're a brand new person in Christ because you get it. The idea, though, is I'll know that I'm not going to be perfect, but so I'm not going to blame me on God. Well, I'm not perfect. Deal with it. But we're supposed to be blameless, the word says. Blameless is you're trying your best, but you just can't help it because you keep getting in the way. So here's what I decided years ago. I want a little bit more separation in my, in my, my sinfulness. Okay, I'm not going to be perfect. I got in trouble today. Come on, we're going to do a reality show. John's house. Sharon told me today, the microwave door is open. What do you think I have been, I've been responding this way for 27 years. What do you think I tell her? Oh, heavens no, I'm not going to tell my wife to close it. I tell her I'm airing it out. (laughs) Got to air it out. There's all kind of microwave fumes in that thing. You got to let it air out. You open up cabinets because you need to air out the cabinets. It needs airflow in cabinets. That's common sense, see? You don't know what you're going to learn on Sunday nights. Sharon just says, Dear Lord Jesus, can we just, I mean, is he stupid? Just, just shut the, honey, just shut it. Just shut the mic Okay. I try to space out these things, put a little distance between them. Here's a good one. Do you love Christians sacrificially and want to be with them? Never understood why people don't want to be around other people, especially in church. Why do we just not want to be around one another? Why do we want to do life ourselves? Do you know that every time we come into a church service, we need to be saying this, what can I give to someone else? You know, I had a, a, a. If you know the things that pastors have to go through, it's just kind of funny. Uh, you know me well enough. Uh, if I'm talking to someone and someone walks up, it doesn't matter that I may like this person less than that person. This, my mind's just going. So. It, it, it happens. Steve can be coming straight up to me to tell me something. And I'm a corner of my eye, Sharon, I hear Sharon telling somebody about me leaving the microwave open. And so Steve's coming right at me. I can even stick out my hand and go, "Now I did not do that. <laughs> and I don't even know I've done it. But I had a lady one time that said I was walking out here in Indiana. I t- Fern was her name, Fern, I remember her name. I went straight to him to shake his hand. He looked me dead in the eyes, and he turned around and started talking to someone else. Now, I can be accused of a lot of things, but not wanting to talk with people would not be one of them. Talking to individuals in a big room, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a a world you just need to be in my mind to experience. But this is what I told Fern, at a loving pastor. Instead of coming to church wanting to receive, start coming to church to give. I mean, that would be like me walking around on. And I'm not. I mean, this is just the pastor's life. That would be like me. I'm going to come in here Sunday morning, and I'm not going to say anything to anybody. I'm just going to walk around and say who will say something to me. And I'm going to just walk around, and I'm going to say, "Well, I walked right down your row, and you didn't say anything to me." But we don't, we, so could you imagine how great, I'm not saying we're not, but could you imagine what would happen instead of saying, you know, I, I'll honestly say I've, I've never done this, and I would never make light of it, but I've never gotten up on a Sunday morning and go, I just do not want to go there. I've never said, I do not want to go in today. But I think a lot of people, you know, because you, you, you look different in the scenario than I am. I kind of do need to be here. It's it real weird if I don't show up last minute. But could you imagine what would happen if everybody said, honey, we cannot miss. Why? Because someone's going to miss what I give them that day. I've got something to give as I go in fellowship with the believers. I have to be there. Why? Because I am part of the body and if i'm not there there's something going to be missing could you imagine what would happen if everybody thought that way instead of receiving and having to get we we give as we get the word real quick do you love christian actively and want to be with them do you discern the presence of the spirit within you do you enjoy listening to good teaching and preaching of things of the word and I'll make this available. Do you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ? And then I just put these biblical principles taken as a whole would do much more to assure the believer that God is working in His life. So what is the basis of our salvation or one salvation? My understanding of God, the promises of God's word, the completed work of Christ. And I'll add to even what I said there. As, as Paul reminds us in Corinthians, I have examined my faith and I know that these ten things, that that, these are things that I'm striving to do. Let's stand as we close in prayer tonight. Lord God, we do thank you so much for the assurance that we can have of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that as we conform to the image of Christ, that we have that assurance that we have repented of our sin we have placed our faith in you. So Lord, I do ask tonight if there would be anyone here tonight that has never proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, repented their sin, placed their faith in you, that tonight would be the night that they would understand in their heart that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that they can repent of their sin and confess their sins to you as a holy, righteous God, and to know that the Finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross paid the debt of that sin. And that Christ, you you rose again and you conquered death and the power of sin over our life and that we repent of that sin. Not only, Lord Jesus, do you take that sin away, but that you clothe us with your righteousness and we become one with you and we literally become new creations in Christ. And, Lord, as we do that, we understand that there's a a Savior and a Lord that we commit our life to because we are no longer dead, but we have been made alive by you. And Lord, I pray that we understand that and that our life is not a life that we live now based on who we are and the power that we have. But we now live our life obediently as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high. And so Lord, give us that assurance tonight that we know, that we know, that we know. And we have believed in that finished work that you paid on the cross for our sin. We do love you, Christ. We thank you for that work. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.